Thanks for listening to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's True Detective Anthology, brought to you by Bald Move. This conversation covers Season 1, Episode 5, titled The Secret Fate of All Life. Close your eyes. In 1995, Rust and Ginger meet with a man named DeWall, who is the cousin of Reggie Ledoux. He doesn't like Rust and won't agree to do business with him, but Marty tells him to the cook site where the two of them make their move. Marty finds two children locked up, one already dead, and decides to execute Ledoux. Everything dies given time. And the scars run together, they're mixing the nerves with the blood. Rust commends him, and they set about covering up the execution. And the soldiers lie houses on fire, and they burn down. And all your belongings turn to So what do you think of uh, the conclusion of the Reggie Ledoux plotline here? I thought it was great. I thought it was cool to see a little bit more action, uh, yeah. more suspense. Again, a little bit less suspense in this scene since we know both the detectives make it out alive and we didn't really have any mm-hmm. idea that there are greater stakes than that until they find the kids, which yeah. is we're already in the middle of the scene by then. So uh-huh. I do uh, like how they unveil that. You know, Marty mm. first gets a glimpse. He comes out. He does something drastic. We know. Yes. Oh shit! Whatever's in that truck is bad. Yes. Uh, and then he sends Rust in. Yeah, like yeah. He's he's. Uh, you know, they leave it kind of to our imagination. Except for they don't. I don't know how they do that and not actually show the children eventually. You yeah, know, it wouldn't make sense. I'm, sometimes you know the maybe walking out with him. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe they could have just not even shown what Rust saw, just show them walking out with the two. Yeah, because I think your imagination, at least mine, uh, can run wild. Whereas just seeing the kids being chained up there was horrific and depressing. But oh yeah, <laughs> not as horror horrific as what you might have conjured up mm, if you were left okay. your imagination. It might have been more Lovecraftian, more King in Yellow. If you had, you know, I wasn't not even thinking him. of that angle. That yeah, it could have, you know, people could have run wild. Like what? I mean, you imagine the Reddit threads. What the <laughs> fuck was in the back of? I mean, yeah, you see yeah. the aftermath. The one dead kid. The one kid. Kid that's catatonic. Yeah, which scary enough. But you remove, you remove the entire mystery by having Rust go in there and kind of like see it. And I just wonder why they did that. I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to harp too much on what they should have done. Uh, yeah. I, I want to talk more about what they did, and I liked how that unveiled itself. They do a lot of interesting stuff with Rip. the editing here. Indeed. Um, the transition from 95 to 2002 is really interesting as well. Yeah. Uh, or you, you kind of go up to the tree, you come back down, and oh, we're seven years later. Yep. Very cool. But yeah, I, I thought the the finale for Ledoux was pretty awesome. Marty comes out and just blows him away. It also is the culmination in like, you know, me sitting back and watching the show and debating about whether we have unreliable narration or not. Oh, yeah. Because this, I think, cleared up for me essentially exactly what we were getting. That, yes, Marty and Rust might tell lies, but visually mm-hmm. we're always going to get the truth. And I thought, yes. I, this must have been a nightmare to edit. When I was watching the commentary... Uh, Nick Pizzolatto mentioned that the first cut of this episode came in at like 87 minutes. Okay. And it got cut down to less than 60. I mean, the the editing job must have been a nightmare because you're blending scenes across three different times. You're putting voiceovers here that seamlessly blend into static shots. I... The recounting of the story where they're telling this pulse pounding chugga 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 boom and, yeah. and the way they edited from one guy to the next, but contrasting with the very tense and, and peaceful scene uh-huh. of them stalking the guys, I, I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was really great film filmmaking and really great editing. Yeah, I did too. Agree with that. There's a lot of stuff going on here um, with Ledoux and his, I guess, cook partner. Uh, which one is the the Jesse? Which one's the Walt in this situation? <laughs> oh, to try Jesus. to figure that out. 
It's almost like they put <laughs> both characters into a frappe machine and then poured them into two <laughs> lumpy shaped containers. Yeah, and somehow they came out with more mass than they started with. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, we first met DeWalt in that in that bar, that dive bar. Uh, I thought it was a per, perhaps Ledoux. I'm uh-huh. like two twenty five, my ass. <laughs> no fucking way. The Ledoux we see, I believe, is two twenty five. He that's, he could be two twenty five. That's six seven. I don't know. But he's he, pretty trim. He was a lot more trim than I was suspected. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's saying a lot of stuff when Rust has him handcuffed and Marty's inside looking around. He's he's saying things like, "Oh, it's time, isn't it?" The the black stars, yeah. all this stuff. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I did a little uh, looking around on the internet uh-huh. about these black stars. It's it's something we haven't talked about yet with the. I mean, we talked about seeing them in a previous episode, and also that they're not their meaning. To the Carcosa poem yeah they are in the the king and yellows poem whatever that mm-hmm. is um it's interesting because like circa the 1800s um which is about the time that these these works the fiction were being written mm-hmm. um the the view of the universe was apparently very different it was it was one of an infinite universe with an infinite number of stars but they were so far away that the light hadn't reached us yet uh-huh. and that is why the sky was at night black instead of just a bright white mass of stars, um, of the infinite number of stars up there. The time when the black stars rise is our current world. The time when the black stars are gone Mm -hmm. is like the end of the world Mm -hmm. because there has been an infinite amount of time for all of the light from those stars to reach us, kind of whiting out the sky. Hmm. Interesting. I I thought some of that imagery was, you know... Kind of terrifying and kind of uh, Lovecraftian and Carcosian. Are you, are you cracking open the the psychosphere for a a, swi- a a sniff right now? I mean, can't wait till the end. No, of the I'm, podcast. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand what he's talking about with the black stars. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, not trying to necessarily theorize on it, but maybe like the view, the worldview of Do at that point. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple things I thought were really weird the first time I watched this and now that I'm going through it a second time I've got some other theories that I wanted to talk about for example Reggie Ledoux says he recognizes Cole from his dreams and also mm, okay. the DeWalt character when he sees you know Crash uh, the Cole character at the that little bar he says I don't like your face and I don't like your makes soul. Makes me want to do things makes to me it. Makes me want to do things to it. Like, you know, speaking of using your imagination. Uh, and I was like, that's really weird because I don't understand why this guy would just essentially turn down free money because he doesn't like the look of Cole's face. And I started wondering, maybe the cult is actually aware of Hart and Cole as characters and have woven them into their plot at this point. Hmm. Because so part of the mythos is like a Matrix sort of the one well, cause, cause Neo sort of thing? Kind of. Like when he comes up to Reggie the Dude, he's like, I know what's happening. This is when the dark black stars rise. Like he's expecting this. And that would make sense because yeah. they they the cult, for whatever reason, killed Dora Lang in a very public way. And then they set fire to a field so people would find it. They would it it seems logical that they would follow the investigation and they find out the two lead detectives that are on it, they would start weaving them into their med their own meta narrative. So like I don't believe okay. he literally dreamed of him, although that would be the more Lovecraftian um way to interpret it. But I think it's interesting that both these guys essentially kind of recognize something about Cole. And I, I wonder if DeWalt literally recognized Cole. Like, I know who you are, mm-hmm. and I don't want to see you again. And then same thing with Ledoux. Are you feeling any of that nonsense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially if you combine it with this idea that it, maybe Ledoux thinks this is the end of the world. Yeah. Maybe the prophecy of his mythos is such that when the black stars rise and you see Rust as as the light star... Perhaps yeah. um, it's kind of like the David blotting Cor- out the darkness. Maybe this is the end times for him. It's kind of reminds me of the David Koresh Waco cult. You know, he was okay. under investigation by federal authorities for a whole bunch of different reasons and weapon violations. And surprise, surprise, he started prophesying a day <laughs> when war will come outside the gates and we need to be prepared and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, they're a really good cult leader pays attention and starts using 
you know, real events to to kind of further their grips of power. And I, I thought that that was evidence of that. And it's kind of scary when we've also been theorizing that Marty's daughter is somehow involved and she's been, yeah. you know, some kind of some kind of uh, inappropriate sexual ex- exposure or some kind of a, a pattern of abuse that's caused her to do these drawings and act out. And now this cult knows these two figures like where the hell is that going <laughs> i don't know man i don't know it sounds like you're uh you're sniffing a little bit at the psychosphere <laughs> too i can't get enough i know I'm, I'm with you uh there's some other stuff here with rust complimenting marty when he comes out and shoots ledoux on committing to something yeah uh i find that yeah i don't know slightly disturbing but ultimately i i kind of agree with him um we know that this guy has done some horrible things i, I don't know it, it's another one of those ends justifying the means sort of sort yeah, of deal it's like the batman thing yeah right? the vigilante justice i i feel bad cheering that on because a lot of times especially if it's misguided it can go horribly wrong i think it's because i've been i've i've thought about this a bit and I don't see anything morally wrong in this particular instance. You go in there, you see these kids chained to a truck, you see these guys and the way they're living and they're cooking drugs and stuff. You know, we could spend $100,000 on a trial and and have attorneys and all this stuff, or we could just put a bullet in their brain. And I think that would be okay. But what happens But it doesn't allow for any kind of redemption. Where's the gray zone? Where's the area where, you know, circumstances just make it look bad? This is very fucking black and white. But you need bright white lines because else you've got cops that's like, hey, I've seen seen this a million times before. This guy's fucking guilty. Pow! Sure. You know, and that's where I think... Maybe there has been comics. I've been following them lately, and I know they went through a gritty, dark time in the 2000s and, Mm -hmm. and, and now. But I wonder if there's ever been a story where just Batman fucking paralyzes some dude on his own suspicion and he actually turned out to be wrong. Yeah. I know they played around with the whole idea of like, you know, Superman levels entire cities Uh. during alien invasions and whatnot. And what is the cost of that to society? But just like Batman being wrong. (laughs) uh, and, And what's the cost of that? Sure. I don't know. That's uh now it's easy to cheer cheer it on when it's so black and white, like you said. It is. Um, but that's you know, just like Rust, uh, we live in a world of grays. In 2002, Marty's back together with Maggie, and everything seems to be going well until his daughter is found in various states of undress with two older boys. You know, like fucking. Rust is also seeing someone, but there's something eating at him. While performing an interrogation, the prisoner claims to know the king in yellow. Unfortunately, he kills himself before Rust can get any information out of him. So instead, he resumes his investigation, returning to the Light of the Way school, where he discovers more devil nets and disturbing imagery on the walls. Marty looks happy. Rust does not, to me. I think Rust started off looking happy, but at some point, some whatever it is his thing, whatever is missing inside of him, I don't know, maybe it's the guilt, because it seems like when we rejoin him in 2002, Cole's starting to question, do I deserve this life? Am I happy? And it seems like maybe the fracture point is finding out that he didn't solve anything. The potential that this case is like, you know, that this, this thing, this time being a flat circle has been echoing in his mind. <laughs> well, and we, we're pretty sure of that. And yeah. like the guilt over like the death of his daughter, whatever the circumstances behind that are catching up to it. And he's like, fuck it. I don't deserve happiness. Hmm. You know, we find out later he went off the grid. Yeah. After a potential blowout between him and Marty, which is uh, coming up. I think he snaps and goes off, but I kind of think he found, I mean, that's what Marty says. He, he kind of found some happy times there for a while. Yeah. And I, I don't know the things that she says at the dinner table, you know, about kind of knowing what he needs uh-huh. and knowing about his, his confrontation issues and denying him small confrontations and yeah. stuff. Uh, I did feel like she was kind of a, a match for him, you yeah. know, yeah. like someone who could maybe deal with his crazy a little bit better than the rest of society. <laughs> you know, the sequence of shots I think is interesting because it goes from 
him being happy at the table with her and holding her hand and be like, yeah, you do know me, babe, to Marty saying, if you need a, con- a confession, you call Rust. Rust mm-hmm. goes in and gets the the Southern Fried Firearms yeah. Pharmacy Thief. Terrible nickname, by the way. Terrible nickname. <laughs> what even Rust says, it's a bit of a mouthful. What, yeah. what do you, fuck, what do you want? Uh, he gets him to confess, but finds out that there's still something that maybe he's always suspected mm-hmm. that they didn't get the right. It's it's. You know, because the thing about Reggie Ledoux getting him and this other scumbag, it doesn't match the things that Charlie Lang said about the cult, that it's rich, powerful men. This, these are not rich, powerful men. Yeah. These are the cooks and lackeys of rich, powerful men. Mm-hmm. And that snapped into him that it's like, oh, my fu- oh my God, I have become complacent. And how many other people, like he's driving and he sees that girl that's been missing since 1987, I think, that was yeah. also, I believe, in the pilot episode. And he's like, oh, my God, I've let I've taken my eye off the ball and look at what's happened. Yeah. And he kind of, you know, he's no longer at the gate. Yeah. So I, I don't think that she did anything wrong. I think Marty's analysis of, well, reality got in the way is wrong. I think Russ's kind of martyr complex that. If he's got a life that's worth living, it's all about uh, eliminating as much misery from the world as he can at whatever sacrifice or whatever cost for himself is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you see that in his actions. He seems to have a very low regard for his own life in a lot of scenarios. Sure. Since we're in the 2002 timeline, this is when he goes back to investigate the Light of the Way Academy. Yeah. And it's all just a ruin now. Uh, he's going through and, and he's looking and he kind of hesitates with his flashlight, and he actually turns it off and lowers it before he enters that final room. And it echoed back what Mar- hit Marty in his conversation from last episode, where Marty says, are you sure you want to go through with this? Mm-hmm. And he's like, not really. I think that's another gut check. Like, I'm kind of good now. <laughs> Do I want to go through this door and confirm my worst fears? Yeah. And then he does. <laughs> and he does. Yeah, no, that's that's like fucking really good plot. That's really good writing and really good editing to get all that sequence of events. Yeah, taking us down the path, you know, and all non-verbally too, Mm -hmm. like the dissatisfaction. You know, what's that all about? It's 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 all there on the screen for us. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to talk about with that that interrogation scene um, where he's getting the confession out of the guy. How many people are we supposed to believe have facial scarring in this area? My big question, I guess, is why Russ doesn't take note of that and why Russ kind of drops the scarred tall man. Well, this guy's not particularly tall, I guess. No, he's not. Uh, But but that doesn't seem to be a factor anymore, right? Well, I think that... They've been chasing the the guy with the scars on his face, the tall guy, the thin guy. I didn't see Reggie Ledoux having any of that, so... He was tall for sure. He was tall, but no scars. Was didn't he have scars? Not that I saw. I know he had a giant scar like right below his back, or right right below his neck on his back, in between all of his other crazy sure. occult Nazi imagery stuff. But, yeah. Um, but the scarred face part didn't seem to match, and I wonder why they just took it at no pun intended face value. Do you think that's that they one got of, the guy? One of the reasons that triggered his intense guilt reaction: the fact that he's like, "Damn it, I should have known." I should have known this was the easy answer. I feel like it might have something to do with it because they don't they don't mention it, but they show another guy with scars on his face. What what other point would you be making than to have this new guy that he's interrogating with scars on, uh, on his face? One question I've got is how is the king in yellow in a habit of just telling any low life drug abuser about what they do? Oh, because yeah. that yeah. is the one thing about this vast criminal conspiracy. Uh, this cult conspiracy that I don't get is a hell of a lot of people that are nobodies know about it. And I understand that some of yeah. that, like eventually if you need drugs in your operation, if you need PCP and LSD and whatever else they shot Dora Lang full of, you got to deal with some, you know, if if you're a, 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 a rich and powerful occult group, you got to deal with some bottom feeders. But damn, like this guy who's just a nobody coming in talking about the king in yellow, that seems... Like, they've got fairly poor operational security. <laughs> then again, they did yeah. burn a field to draw attention to a heinous crime they committed. So maybe that's an element, you know, we talked about maybe it's a doomsday cult where they're wanting to be caught. And that's yeah. part of their narrative. Could be. Know. Could be. But they do seem to be sloppy. I, I agree. It's a lot of stuff going on with Marty's daughter in this episode. Uh, we see her grow up from a girl who's harassing her sister to a girl who is in a three-way 
in a car somewhere. Right. Is that an interesting juxtaposition? Marty getting his life together and his daughter's life continuing to fall apart for whatever the fuck reason. Maybe it's just the sins of the father that he has used women, uh, especially young women, and you know, kind of manipulated them and led them on, and now his daughter is following in that footsteps, sleeping with older men and putting herself in, in dangerous situations. Or it could be that this is Marty being a control freak, and there's nothing in particularly... You know, I don't know how old his daughter is, but and and it's weird to be a father of a daughter. But at some point, they're going to be sexually active, and at some point, they're going to be sexually adventurous. And calling them a slut and slapping them in the face seems like the worst thing you can do as a father. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that's defensible at all. Oh God, no. Um, I, I think at this point she's sixteen. I think they say that. Okay. Um, so being with a couple of dudes who are nineteen and twenty. Yeah, that's a little weird. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly a lot of the reason she's acting out is because of Marty. I don't. I don't know if it's the way he, that he treats women. I don't know if it's neglect, as he says, but it's got to be part of it. And it, it seems like it, it's also the part, the fact that she's part of this insane Cthulhu worshiping cult. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> You've cracked into the psychosphere again. Uh, So there's a look that, like, after she gets slapped, Mm -hmm. she looks at her mom, and then she runs upstairs. Mm -hmm. Like, you can clearly tell that the mom, that Maggie and her have a much better relationship. Um, But it's it still feels like a strange one. It it feels like one where she's looking to her mother to contain this, this wild man who is Marty, this... Plus her mom, I, I think that's also a callback to her mom's general sense of amusement that her daughter was given this big speech about, well, maybe you're not supposed to understand women or maybe, you know, like I'm, I'm just being my own individual. And, you know, her mom was amused by that. And also that's something that Marty needed to, to hear. And now this has happened, something that I think her mom is not as amused by, not as comfortable with. And she looked to her mom for support and saw I mean, I don't like I said, I don't think her mom was was supportive of Marty hauling off and slapping no, her. No, no. But also her mom was not at all like, oh, well, girls would be girls or you just don't understand girls, honey. Like there's a little bit of that, too. Like she crossed the line and was expecting compassion from her mom and maybe didn't get it. But I mean, where does she go from here? Because damn, <laughs> uh, she starts shooting up PCP. <laughs> PCP. Yeah. Why not? In 2012, the detectives interviewing Marty reveal that Rust may be involved in several of the murders, from Dora Lang in 95 to Billy Lee Tuttle in 2010. They lay out a case pretty similar to the one that we've been sniffing around in the psychosphere, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here. Um, they, They make the case that Rust has, you know, been off the grid for 10 years, and then he shows up and he's snooping around all these murder cases. They present that to marty and marty is kind of i think surprised by it but also i think he has to consider it from a detective standpoint oh yeah he has to at least entertain the idea that that might be true i think he still is like i don't believe you but i'm hearing what you're saying and i'm looking at it through new light yes because that's the thing like the detectives are not crazy no, and and you look at this situation, and I think it's reasonable to at least ask the question, what's going on with this guy, you know? Yeah. And what I also don't know is what to think of the present-day detectives. Like, are they good at their job? I mean, I'm looking at this through the lens of Rust, and he seems pretty arrogant and dismissive of them. Yeah. And truly, the, the younger detective seemed like he jumped the gun. Mm-hmm. And the older one is kind of pissed about like, we don't have this guy. We yeah. are trying to draw this guy out and you just slam the door on us. He's one of the best opponents we've ever faced. Yeah. Yeah. Like he has more inside knowledge about this process. He's smarter than you. Like, yeah. and I love Marty's thought of uh, like, you know, 
So you talked to Russ, and did you get a read on him? No, he's like, well, that means he got a read on you, and that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, yeah. he Rust was there to find out what they knew to see if they knew more than he did. Once mm-hmm. he found that they didn't, he was out of there. Yeah, with prejudice mm-hmm. says, "Hey, if you want to look around my storage shed, I'm curious what's in the storage shed now." But but and maybe I'm answering my own question because the young guy fucked up. But I'm kind of curious to see if these guys are actually any good. Like if he hadn't jumped the gun mm-hmm. in the course of their investigation. Would they have dismissed the Rust connection? Would they have gone and gotten a warrant and you know investigated this mysterious shed? Would they uncover? Would they have eventually gotten to the right conclusion? Or are they? Because Marty's not a very good detective either. That's the thing. That's the thing that's interesting here is I feel like these guys wouldn't be good detectives if they weren't asking these questions. Like the older and detective, the fact that Marty hadn't even considered it is telling. If we're making an analogy between the true detectives here, the older. De- detective played by the brother Mazone character from The Wire. Maybe he's Russ. Maybe he is good. Uh-huh. And the younger guy is his Marty. Yeah, because that's yeah. A, that's that's the kind of bush league league move Marty would do in an, in an interrogation. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that Marty was at least smart enough to shut up and just let sure. Russ do his do do his 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 routine. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the best at it. So like I said, maybe I'm answering my own question. These guys are just hopeless. But I thought that was. I had a question about like, you know, how good of a police are these guys? Yeah, it's a fair question. So there's a lot of meta narrative in these last two episodes. Some fourth wall breaking stuff. One thing that uh, I neglected to mention last episode was in the bar scene where Marty's interrogating the bartender. He's actually talking. The, the bartender's played by Nick Pizzolatto. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you know, Marty's exasperated with this guy Stonewall. And he's like, why are you making me say this shit, man? That's interesting for a character in a TV show to deliver to the writer of the television show. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and the the episode began... I just wish it was Rust that would have said that. (laughs) The episode began with a close, tight shot of Charlie Lang's prison cell, and we're Mm -hmm. looking at Marty and Rust through that little box, and Marty's kind of looking back out at us, like, kind of furtively, implying that, you know, this is kind of like a scene within a scene. This is like us watching a television show of a television show. And the last scene of this episode was a framing device, slowly pulling out through a a literal broken frame, showing Marty almost as if we are looking at him in this television show. And you Mm -hmm. got Marty talking about, why are you making me say this shit? Uh, You've got him talking about how if there was fourth dimensional beings during Matthew McConaughey's interstellar audition that he was doing, and he's talking Mm -hmm. about in-brain theory and all this stuff, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he's talking about how if you were outside of our world looking at us, you'd all see this these flattened this this being. Mm-hmm. Uh, him actually saying when L- Reggie Ledoux starts spouting his rust nonsense, what is this? Nishi, shut the fuck up. It's all very self aware, yeah. and and I was starting to think like, well, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe some of the stuff that people are talking about on Reddit is bullshit. And then we were listening to the commentary for this track, and Nick Pizzolato during the scene said the exact same things. Like, who is Russ talking to? Is he talking to the detectives? Is he talking to you, the viewer? Is he talking to me as the creator? I almost (laughs) feel like that these transitional episodes, like these these middle pivot episodes where we go from the past and Marty's story to the the present and Russ's story, Nick did play with a lot of that. Like, we are aware that we're watching television. Like... We, as the viewer, we watch The Wire, we watch The Sopranos, we watch Boardwalk Emperor, we watch Breaking Bad, we watch True Detective. All these miserable people having miserable things, and we get pleasure from it. Hmm. Like, are we the representations of death? Like, the television is the garden where we plant living things to die? Uh, are we the extra-dimensional beings looking out? Is, is Russ raging against us? Like, why are you making me and Walter White and Tony Soprano and that poor kid that got murdered and dissolved in acid and breaking back. Why are you doing, why are you making us live through all these, these lives hmm. and suffer? It's an interesting idea. I like that. And especially we talked last episode, I, th- I think it was last episode about how um, Nick likes to think about the difference to differences between fictional realities and the real world. Um, so certainly I could see him doing something like that. I just I, I get I get tired watching these scenes hmm. because they're they're tedious. Um, 
the, with with him going on about in-brain theory and the, the pointlessness of it all and the futility of, you know, being reborn into this universe. I mean, it's the title of the episode, The Secret Fate of All Life. Mm-hmm. You're in a trap that mm-hmm. you're destined to be reborn into over and over again, and it's a nightmare. I I don't see the usefulness of that philosophy. I if If you truly believe that, what incentive do you have to keep living in, in the cycle or, you know, it doesn't end the cycle, but you can end your miserable existence and your suffering right now or find some way to deal with it in a better way. We know for a fact there are people on this planet who are happy. Yes. Yeah. I think that's demonstrably true. Russ would say they're ignorant people, but <laughs> does it matter? I don't know. In, in his worldview, does it matter? See, so, so this stuff is kind of like intellectual masturbation. I happen to enjoy it. I, you get it's antsy with I, it. It's like, things I've, noticed, I've thought about before and dismissed as useless because know, they truly even, are. But but I think there is value in going through some down some of these philosophical paths because it allows you to uncover some kind of truth about the world or the way you view it. Okay, I guess they're they're laborious for me because I've thought about them before and I'm no longer interested in pursuing those trains of thought because they lead to a dead end. I also think it works on a, again, meta-narrative basis because it's essentially Russ putting a spell on the detectives. He's giving them a narrative that they that he sees that they want to buy into, and it's a bunch of nonsense and allows them to underestimate them, and, uh, and then he springs a trap him on the end. So I, yeah. I kind of feel like it works that way, but I, I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I like all this stuff, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I don't know. I thought Nick put a... And again, maybe he plagiarized all these speeches from other philosophical books, but uh, I thought they were pretty fresh, Um, you know, Hmm. taking nihilism and merging it with extra dimensional quantum physics, I thought was pretty cool. And I think it's it's not fair to say that it it goes nowhere because, you know, Rust even said in the very first episode, like, I don't have the constitution for suicide, so what I've chosen to do is bring as much light as I to, to reduce as much misery as I possibly can in this miserable meat shit existence I've been forced into. Okay, but I I don't know why you would take that philosophy and stick with it. Then why not try and find philosophies that make you happier? Philosophies that are, have a brighter outlook. Well, that's 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 the the Matrix theory, right? I mean, he's saying this is the terrible and secret fate of all life, like. But he clearly believes these should things. You, should you be like Cypher and eat the juicy steak and yes, then you go should. back to sleep? If, or if, should you, you... if you come to the conclusion that you truly believe that there is no point to, to any of this and you're stuck in a trap that is a nightmare, yes, you should go in search of better options. I don't know. I think there's a certain nobility and heroism in continuing to function in a worldview of it like that. And if you think it's an accurate worldview, then like, you know, hell, you might be, you might be happier if you believe in heaven. So why don't you start believing in heaven? It's sure. not that easy. Yeah, if you've determined that that's your outlook on the universe, yeah. sure, go ahead and believe in heaven because it's better. If, I... if that's what's going to make you happy, I guess, do it. But I, I think it says more about Rust than it does about the universe that he believes this thing because he has no way to prove any of this. Uh, but it's something that he can believe and evangelize, which I, I actually Certainly, think that... But that says more about his outlook on the sure. universe as a human being. He is damaged to the point where he believes that everything is pointless. And I I don't know that that is a... I, I don't believe that's healthy. Okay. And I, I feel like Rust Cole going around espousing these beliefs to people as if they were fact uh, is damaging them in some way, too. Yeah. I think there's a lot of conscious... Uh parallels between the the you know that that uh theriot preacher that's played by shay wiggum and rust like if you look at Rust's interrogation tactics it's essentially stuff that you could crib from jim theriot's sermons so and and rust is right there saying this is empty meaningless bullshit ideology i don't know i i i i yes i'm not saying it's healthy i don't know what healthy is in this context but I don't want to just dismiss it as an unworkable life philosophy. <laughs> because, okay. again, it's I espo- I believe yeah. all this stuff. It's just I'm not as a downer about it as he is. But then again, if my son gets ran over by a truck tomorrow, I might be right there with him. We think of the parallels of Rust and, and uh, Marty, because uh, there's been some 
some of the more out there theories that we talked about in the psychosphere segments about them potentially being literally the same person uh, in a Tyler Durden kind of fight club way. I'm not go- trying to go down that road. The road I'm trying to go down is there's a lot of parallels between look how bored and just dissatisfied Rust is in, in 2002 during this in- interrogation compared to how alive he's looked in the last in the last episode and up to this point with Marty. I mean, they're, they're editorially blending these scenes of Marty looking at his balding head and his growing paunch and this cowboy buckle he had that he got from some rodeo or he's the crowned all around cowboy back in 82. Yeah. They're going through a similar winter of their discontent. And I do think, I don't know. They're they're not this literally same person, but they are they they have some kind of connection. I think that's one of the reasons that Russ tries so hard to make Marty understand his point of view. Because hmm. he sees like a brotherhood and a kinship there. And there's also like, you know, as much shit as Rust as Marty has given Rust, Rust instantly had his back when he went and killed uh Reggie Ledoux. Sure. Yeah. Like there wasn't any like, what the fuck are you doing, man? What the you know, oh, Michael Jordan asshole, huh? It was just like instantly we got to make this right. We got to make sure this goes down the way we want it to. Yeah, but it's I mean, that's an action that Rust agreed with, right? Had Rust not agreed with the action, I don't think he would have done the same thing. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, because the, the one other way to look at it is Marty. This is a way worse version of uh, the younger detective jumping the gun. Like Marty killing those two guys or leading to the deaths of both those guys ended the investigation. Sure. Whereas Definitely. if they had taken them into custody and done some background and done some research and done some more investigation, maybe time wouldn't be a flat circle to Rust and he wouldn't be stuck in his goddamn nightmare of investigation. Because that's what this hmm. story is about, right? It's about him sure. not being able to get free of this of this task that he assigned himself. He comes on to this force two months later, he gets this case and he can't get away from this case. Sneaking whiffs of it all throughout the episode, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's time to uh, to delve deeply, to huff it, spray it all up in a paper bag, and take some deep breaths. Smelling the psychosphere. I want to revisit before we go on to some stuff that maybe I didn't present correctly because we our buddy Eric Walkless, formerly of Personal Arrogance fame, biggest Cthulhu guy I know. He runs an annual beer uh, a pub crawl based on H.P. Lovecraft in Seattle. Uh, around Memorial Day weekend, or is it Labor? Yeah, no, Labor Day weekend. Um, he's read all this stuff. He's he's active in the community. He plays the board games. He reads the books. He plays the video games. And we're having a conversation where he has he's actually listened to the first podcast where we talk about the yellow sign, and I juxtapose it with the spiral symbol. Yeah. He actually informed me that that the official yellow sign was actually created by an artist in the '80s specifically for the Cthulhu role playing game. In the geek community, that's kind of like the yellow sign. Uh Um, But the yellow sign is never actually described. It's a symbol that can drive you mad just by looking at it. Hmm. And he actually sent me a piece of artwork that he sent, that he created. I think you've seen it too, um, where he's done his interpretation of the yellow sign. Uh, that looks kind of like a, his take was like an MC Escher where it's like one of those visual illusions where it looks like a spiral, but then it looks like a cube. And then uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's he actually subscribes to the theory that this is intentionally supposed to be the show's version of the yellow sign. OK, this they, big, like, they can't be the copyrighted one. But but since there is no official one, they just came up with something creepy and otherworldly. And boom, there it is. Talking about the question mark or the spiral. Well, but the the little crooked question mark with the little. Yeah. Apostrophes coming out. The I said was the yellow sign. Mm-hmm. That was just the role playing game makers. Take I know on the what, yellow what what yes. symbol in the show. He's specifically about? saying the spiral symbol, which means the previous psychosphere we did with the question mark is probably not the real yellow sign. That was probably just bullshit. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's cool. That's, that's all the psychosphere, man. It's like yeah. maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Um, one interesting thing that someone found out on Reddit is, you know, the the Stacy Gearhart, the girl on the billboard that's been missing 
uh, prominently was in 1987. You know, we've seen that. Uh, they went back and were watching, and they saw that the Reverend Theriot said that he came up with uh, Reverend Tuttle eight years prior okay. to 1995. That would be smack dab in 1987. All right. Deliberate connection. Is that mm. is that something that Rust is thinking about? I'm liking the smell of this. Uh, I think he's probably more thinking about, did I get the right guy, like you said earlier? Uh but that might be mixed up in there. Yeah, that maybe he's sifting through all the information he's learned over the years. and That might and be a piece of because it. Because he's yeah. also, I mean, he did specifically tie in the task force. He asked Marty, you know, and Marty's like incredulous. Are you suggesting the task force was in on it? Well, hell yes, he is. Yeah. thought that was interesting. We talked about Marty wearing antlers. How about Rust with his yellow crown? This was actually broken up. Believe it or not, by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> okay. Uh, the night that the episode came out, he tweeted, uh-huh. "Did anyone else see the yellow crown above Rust?" And sure enough, Rust, when he tears uh, into the highway, there is a yellow truck stop, a Palace truck stop logo that's literally floating above his head in the background. Yeah, that's cool. Also, someone saw that and then found in an ad- uh, earlier episode where Rust is at a bar doing an investigation, and he's standing in front of a Corona Extra sign. Corona means crown, and it's got the a, a golden crown for its logo. So Rust is the Yellow King. Case, Mystery solved. Case, case closed. <laughs> also, people thought, well, maybe actually it's not Rust is the Yellow King. He's being framed by for being the Yellow King, and as evidence, they show this uh you know the ending shot where we're literally watching rust look at this uh you know devil trap through a broken window frame that he's going to be yeah. framed by the higher ups by the conspirators as as being the one and this this uh, investigation in 2012 is the culmination of that okay and Interesting. It, as you pointed out there's like black stars on the windows i mean this is yeah. all very of a piece of what uh, we've heard from carcosa and what reggie ledoux's been talking about yeah it makes me wonder what's in that storage bin man i mean could they slide that thing open and there's just devil nets everywhere and uh, that's we find out that yeah rust is kind of insane and has some uh disassociative properties and he's been the killer all along i don't know fuck no you can't see a storage shed uh, there's also a really cool theory about um, Rust being undercover. You know, he's been a deep undercover agent for like four year stretches. He's not your average UC, right? Yeah. Someone said that he is actually like a DEA, FBI, federal agent that's undercover investigating the corrupt police system in this particular town hmm. and parish. Okay. That they are, there is a pattern of missing people that are being reported in error and and women going missing and they suspect police corruption so they've sent him in to uh go deep undercover and investigate the investigation would this be in 95 you think i and like all the way back continuing down to this day okay I like it. What did he do during those 10 years where he was off the grid? Maybe we'll find out in the next he three was, episodes. He went back to his real job. You know, he was detective <laughs> sure. in Texas I mean, or wherever be, he came that from. That would be an interesting thought that 2012 is the is essentially and, and, and reintroducing himself to Marty and these detectives is essentially the same thing as that he just did with Ginger. Yeah, I've been gone for a while uh-huh. and I had some things to do, but now <laughs> I'm back and I want to get everything back together again. Yeah, that's 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 you just built on the theory. Congratulations, Jim. (laughs) Get on Reddit. Post it right now. What I'm here for a year later. (laughs) I was off the grid for a year. Another thing of symbolism, potentially pointing the finger at Rust. This is him being a bad guy, not a good guy again. He was carving men, arranging them into a rough circle when he's given his crazy, you know, uh, times a flat circle speech. A lot of five dudes standing around imagery. There's the five Ken dolls standing around the fallen Barbie. There's the five men in Cajun Mardi Gras costumes on horseback around the the little girl. Now we got five beer can dudes that that he's actually carving by hand. So you think Suspicious. maybe if, if they hadn't accused him, if the younger detective hadn't let it slip, that sixth beer can would have turned into a girl? Sure. I think that's exactly what they're saying. But I, I don't think it's as much about the five guys around the central woman that it is about the recurring theme of these five guys. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I I just don't know what it means. 
there's also a, a case people are building against Marty that kind of blew wide open in this episode because we get this whole spiel from Russ that that everyone wants some cathartic release and to be forgiven, especially the guilty. Then Marty is saying that uh, actually it's Marty's wife says that he used to be a good man. Then he started sleeping around um, and and getting into alcohol. Also in episode two, Marty said, "Hey, you know, I need. I'm a guy that needs release from my." Uh, work and and I need a reprieve from the stresses of my life. We already know he engaged in infidelity. He got kind of out of control, mm-hmm. not just in fucking women, but in beating dudes up and and just acting crazy. Are there any other forms of stress relief he might have been engaging in? Mm. A little bit more murderous. <laughs> Uh, also they thought that it was really suspicious how Marty executed the two dudes that essentially dead ended this case. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was disgust and revulsion. That certainly seemed how it played on the camera. Yeah. But seen through another light, he just destroyed their investigation or any hopes of leading it to any place higher. Also, Marty keeps saying this detective's curse thing about the clue being, uh, right under your nose and you're always looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. The detectives are looking at rust. Is Marty the the <laughs> counterpart to the true detective? Is he the false detective? Just can't keep his mouth shut. That detective curse stuff. Also, there's something kind of like psychological about this because once they killed the killer from 95 to 2002, no more killings happened that they know of. Uh, also, yeah. Marty cleans up the rest of his life. He's stopped his infidelity. He stopped mm-hmm. drinking. He believes his home life is getting better because he's cleaned up. But he admits that he himself hasn't changed. When his home life starts to fall apart again, his daughter starts getting in trouble. Start hearing about the Yellow King coming back around. So you think it's just he had a cycle of of self control? That's where he was able to not kill anyone. That feels kind of accurate to what I know of serial killers. Like they go yeah. through these outbursts where they can't con- and then they get some sense of satisfaction or maybe they get scared like I got to change and they go through long droughts and then they kill again. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that would also fall into line with the cyclical sort of nature of this case of of the time is a flat circle philosophy, the in-brain theory yeah. um, that, you know, nothing nothing is ever really solved. Nothing changes. That's uh, that's an interesting theory. I kind of like it. All right. Uh, next visual thing, and again, all these—I I should have mentioned—all these visuals that I'm, I'm showing Jim are going to be posted in show notes. So if you want to follow along on your podcast player or go on the website, to, uh, go find the article and, and, and look at them, you can. Another sign that maybe Marty's daughter is significant to the plot—that she's wrapped up in these events in a deeper way than we suspect. Look at this picture of the girl with the christian neon cross um kind of floating over her hair mm-hmm. and then look at the picture of marty's daughter when she gets busted for uh sleeping with the two dudes oh it's marty's daughter i thought that was avril lavigne <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that she it's has skater cross- boys man you get you get get wrapped up in skater boys and that's f- fuck devil cults the skater boys is the real <laughs> they're, corruption. they're the real trouble yeah uh no there's a cross hanging in the same exact place from her yeah. From her ear. She's got an earring. Yeah. Uh, I think that's significant. I don't, it, it doesn't really say anything, right? Other than watch this girl, maybe. Well, I mean, I think we've been watching her ever since she started manifesting this bizarre behavior. This is just showing that maybe she's actually tied into the central mystery. It's, it's more, it's more it fuel for this, that fodder, I guess. It could also be this, uh, the idea of her sexuality and maybe the mishandling of that, given that I think the girl from the intro. She looks like uh, she's naked. Um, we've seen a lot of stuff with prostitutes and strippers in this series. Oh. That could be maybe the road that she's on, and maybe that's starting. That's signifying that she's headed dark places. Well, plus Marty conspicuously said he joined the Promise Keepers, which is a kind of a Christian fundamentalist men support group. Oh, okay. Uh, so maybe his holy rolling in adopting this this Christian persona, which always felt kind of hypocritical. Maybe this is a conscious rebellion against that. Could be. There's also this theory about Rust allowing himself to be crucified. People are trying to predict the ending, and people are saying, well, maybe Rust will die, because in the first episode, he's talking about, uh, you know, Marty's like, why do you got that crucifix? And Marty says, I use it to meditate. I like to ponder that night in Gethsemane where Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. And people are saying that, you know, he's espousing all this, nihilist 
looking down on religion, not being able to accept the concept of, of, of grace. Yet it would be ironic how if he ended up being the most Christ-like of the characters and that that was foreshadowing to set him up that he'll <laughs> literally sacrifice his life either to stop the killer or yeah. maybe save Marty's daughter. There's lots of different variations on this theory, but it's hmm. all Rust Cole is going to die in a self-sacrificing martyr type fashion. Okay, one more image. Actually, there's two more. This one is a picture of the different, I don't know what you call those, angel demons? I mean, they have halos on them. Yeah, they've got to be angels, right? This is what was all scrawled, all weird on the walls of the Light of the Way Academy. One of the angel demons has bloody ears, one of them has bloody eyes, and one of them has a bloody mouth, signifying the three wise monkey fable, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Yeah. have no idea what that means. It also is roughly the same, at least the way they've assembled them here, and I assume that's the way they appear on the wall. It also goes back, remember the first episode when I showed you the animated gif of Rust standing in front of the two crosses? Mm -hmm. It's more of this three cross, because these figures kind of roughly look like they might be crucified. Their, their hands are all stretched behind them or whatnot. I wonder if there's any nod towards that. And I guess that I would, make, I, I that would put Rust in the... Uh, either to hear or speak no evil. I can't remember which side of the cross he was standing on. I think he was on the speak side. Okay, me too. Because that would put, I think it was the left, the person at the left hand of Christ was the impenitent thief. Okay. But he's not, yeah, It's he's certainly not the speak no evil kind, kind of guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, I, You know, it could be one of those feel things too, you know, where they're not trying to actually say anything, just right. trying to create a thematic sort of feeling. Right. And the last image, the hammer. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> that is a thing of beauty right there. Uh, yeah, someone took a image of uh, Marty. Or no, no, this is Russ shooting the drum-fed AK-47 and replaced the muzzle flashes with the word all right coming out. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> That's some, some heavy-duty shit. Bald Move depends on your support to create our independent podcast. Find out how you can help out and get lots of great perks such as ad-free podcasts, live video feeds, and other exclusive bonus content at club.baldmove.com. If you'd like to send in your feedback, you can do so by emailing it to truedetective at baldmove.com. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com and participate in our discussion forums. Keep up with our latest release schedules by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. 